630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Brad Lauer of the Edmonton Oil Kings is the Western Hockey League Coach of the Year. He'll join us between 7.30 and 8 tonight. Meanwhile, some grim news concerning the Canadian Football League today. Commissioner Randy Ambrosi had this to say, speaking to a House of Commons Finance Committee. Bringing people together makes us great, but in a pandemic, it makes us vulnerable. Because the first thing to go and the last thing to come back is large gatherings, and large gatherings is the lifeblood of the CFL. Unlike large U.S.-based leagues, our biggest source of revenue is not TV, it's ticket sales. Governments coping with COVID-19 for reasons of public health that we totally support have made it impossible for us to do what we do. Our best case scenario for this year is a drastically truncated season, and our most likely scenario is no season at all. All right, so there you hear the commissioner say it, the most likely scenario is no season at all. We talked about the values, the dollar amounts being thrown around last week. We had Mark Cohan, the former commissioner of the league, on the show to discuss. Randy Ambrosi has put forward $30 million now and then up to $150 million at a later date to help the CFL get get through this. He broke that down in his comments today as well. We have told the federal government we need $30 million in working capital this summer to keep operating and keep as many people employed as possible. It is very challenging to be precise on what additional help we might need because COVID-19 has literally created a world of uncertainty. Will we have games this fall or no season? What about 2021? Can we pack our stadiums then or not? One of our most famous Grey Cup games was called the Fog Bowl because the players couldn't make out what was in front of them. A friend of mine says we're all operating in a fog bowl right now. But we did our best to consider what might be ahead of us. And we estimated that we could need as much as an additional $120 million over the next two years. If the most negative scenarios, all of them, come true. So there you hear him breaking down $120 million over the next two years if every negative scenario comes true. So that's a maximum amount. We'll see what it could wind up being, if anything, but some pretty blunt talk from CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi today. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for checking in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. Your feedback is welcome by calling or texting 780-496-0063. I had worked up a kind of lighthearted way to introduce our next guest, but I'll have to save that for the next time he's on the show because after hearing Randy Ambrosi, I'm not feeling overly lighthearted, but I'm pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports from The Athletic, author, and we're going to talk about his book before the lights go out in the next half hour too. It is Sean Fitzgerald checking in tonight. Hey, Sean, you're on with Reed. How are things, man? You know what? Now that you say it like that, I kind of wish we hadn't picked such a literal title for that book. And I've seen you getting some of that feedback playfully on Twitter from people, but it it appears to apply to more than just Canadian hockey these days, unfortunately. Yeah, the book came out in October and the lights were out by March. So, yeah, sorry, Edmonton. That's on me, I think. Blame it on more Toronto. It's it's a really good book. It's it's a really good book, and we want to talk about it because it, it continues to to be noticed and uh, and get you a lot of well deserved attention as well. But uh, you know, you and I are uh, both 
guys who, uh, as younger men, watch the Canadian Football League and have continued liking it into adulthood, even though sometimes it feels like there are fewer, fewer adults falling in <laughs> love with the league. But but all, all that aside, okay, let me let me start with this comment. Is Randy Ambrosi being 100% truthful or is he playing the woe is me card to some extent to see how far he can take this financially? That's a really interesting question, Reed. Like, and I'm not just saying that. It is a really interesting question. Um, and I don't know if it's whether, you know, truthful or not truthful, but like the CFL really, you know, in its, in its approach to this, you know, request for, they're calling it a partnership, but others, including a couple of MPs today, members of parliament, suggested it was a bailout. Um, they haven't been transparent. So, yes, they're asking for $30 million immediately, and if the season is quashed, and frankly, you know, it's starting to look like it might be, um, they're asking for an additional $120 million by, you know, probably September when they have to cancel it. But, you know, the Players Association comes out and says, well, we weren't consulted about this. So then the question goes to, well, well where's this money going? Like, what, what are we giving, we as Canadian taxpayers, giving $150 million to the CFL for if the players aren't part of it? Like, you know, Randy Ambrosi made passing mention today about uncertainty about when government assistance for, you know, payroll and workers, you know, the CERB benefits, uh, when those might run out after June 1st. But you know what? A lot of Canadian businesses are in that same boat right now. So without that detailed, itemized sort of list about here is where the money is going to go, here's how it's going to be used, here within our league is who is going to benefit from it, some of the conclusions drawn are, are what at least a couple of the members of Parliament drew today, which is you take a look, and the Toronto Argonauts are owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is a $4 billion company. Uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks are owned you know, in part by the Greenberg family, which is, you know, a couple of years ago valued at, you know, $1.52 billion. The Calgary Stampeders are controlled by a group with, you know, at least before the pandemic hit, had at least one owner who was worth a billion dollars. So you go down the list, you know, David Braley out in Vancouver, it, this isn't the league of the mid-90s where owners were just all scraping by. There are some exceptionally wealthy people, some of the wealthiest people in companies, in sports companies, in Canada own these teams now. So, you know, without that detailed breakdown of who this money is going to benefit, the conclusion I think that was drawn by some who are on that call today were this might just be some billionaires looking for a little bit more money from the government. And, and of course, it's easy enough to find online, and, and people have been tweeting it out today, the, you know, the community-owned teams. And in Edmonton, it's a group of about 90 people who, who run the team, and essentially, and have a board of directors. And the Eskimos made money. The Riders obviously made money. And <laughs> the Blue Bombers uh, made money. So then the other six teams, you know, you kind of look at them and say, man, they're, they're really falling behind a little bit. But it's interesting you said that about Ambrosi because he's – often put himself out there as the transparent everyman commissioner. If you see me having coffee on White Ave or downtown Toronto, come up and tell me you don't like the schedule or tell me you, you, you don't like the officiating, right? And then with this one, you're right. And I had someone say to me last week, what is this money all about? Is the CFL just trying to have revenue without having a season? Like, is that what that dollar amount amounts to? Like. 
I mean, this is a global pandemic that very few in living memory have any understanding of what this is, right? Like you have to be, you know, a hundred years old to really have living memory of what anything like this is like. And and maybe if you're alive for the Great Depression, you might understand some of the economics of this, but like firsthand from memory, like there are entire sectors of the economy that are melting away by the week. Everybody's hurting. So I think that, you know, what the CFL probably needed to do was to better demonstrate just how. It needed to be more transparent. But, but yes, there are the community-run teams. And, and yes, the community-run teams, those three of them, you know, might account for something like 50% of the league's revenue, according to some counts. So, you know, how is the money going to be broken down? Who is it going to help? Um, and and why do you need a number that that's big when there's, you know, nine teams in a league? And, you know, maybe you can get around to playing in 2021. So yeah, there's just so many more questions that needed to be answered, so much more transparency, I think, that had to be offered that, you know, what what happened today probably ended up generating more questions than answers. And, you know, we're all sitting here wondering, where, where does this go? What's the end game? I'm, I'm going to throw another one at you, and you can slap me down if I'm getting way ahead of myself. I would never do that, Reed. <laughs> You're my boy. Yeah and, yeah, and as a talk show host, I would never speculate or get too far down the road than I need to. 100%. I, 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 like is, I, I wonder if somewhere in the next two years or five or ten years, the NFL essentially owns the CFL or puts in so much money to prop it up, they unofficially own it, even if they don't on paper. You know what I mean? Well, they sort of did that once. Yeah, <laughs> true. That, true. They did that after, you know, I, I, which, which team was it that ended up playing its final home game in Edmonton? Was that was that Las Vegas? That was Las it Vegas was in, in 94, I think. Yeah, Right? Like, like that was the era where the NFL, you know, Saskatchewan's having the annual telephones to keep the riders alive. Like, I think it was right around that time the NFL came in with $4.3 million, and I think 500000 went to each team to keep the league alive. And what sort of came out of that was, you know, the player transfer agreement, which has sort of since been done away with. So it's been down that road before. But the thing is, is that the CFL, the owners, you don't have to bail them out. Like, like you know, so many of these owners are so super rich now that we shouldn't be having that conversation about does the NFL need to come and, and prop it up or um, you know I saw a funny tweet just before you called that you know maybe the Rock should just buy the whole league you know, he played for the Calgary Stampeders ever so briefly um, no like this this is you know still the Canadian Football League that we all love and, and I'm not ashamed to say that I love the CFL. It has been a significant part of my life. In fact, I, I wrote a piece. I think it was a. I don't even. I didn't even know what time or month or day it is anymore. But a little while ago, about you know, we were all asked at the athletic, you know, if we wanted to write about our favorite athlete, like in any sport. And you know my affiliation and my affinity for Notre Dame. But my favorite athlete ever was Michael Pinball Clemens, um, just because he's you know he, he he was 12 years old. I was 12 years old when he landed in Canada and just captivated me. Like I have deep attachment to the CFL, but we cannot think of the CFL as what it used to be. That you know Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is worth four billion dollars conservatively, and that you know some of the other owners are not all that far behind. I mean, once you get up a cup above a, a few hundred million dollars, it's sort of the same. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, there, there, there's not folks who, you know, need that gate to make sure they make payroll the following week. Sean Fitzgerald checking in tonight on Inside Sports from The Athletic, the book we were referencing before the lights go out, and uh, it has not 
slowed down. We're going to talk about that when we get back to Inside Sports. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Brad Lauer, Western Hockey League Coach of the Year, will join us after the 7.30 news. It'll be good to catch up with Brad. Did a great job with the Oil Kings, who unfortunately had their season canceled because of the pandemic. Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic is on the line, longtime sports colonist. We were talking about Randy Ambrosi's comments today that the CFL season will most likely be canceled. He said that before a House of Commons committee today. By the way, this was all by teleconference. They're not gathering uh, in in person, so we'll keep following that story. Okay, and we wanted to have you on again to talk about your book, and we've done a couple segments on Before the Lights Go Out, but it's a great look at hockey in Canada. Uh, Very honest, very honest about some of the challenges that the game is facing, and, and I should clarify to people who haven't read it, a lot of it is at the grassroots level, and it's a really interesting approach, and I think something that I'm really glad you examined, Sean. Uh, and I'm going to toot your horn a little bit here. You, you, you're, you're, are you nominated for an award, or did you already win it, the Kobo Award? No, no, uh, shortlisted, shortlisted, shortlisted for the uh, Kobo Award for Emerging Writers. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, first-time authors, uh, uh, several categories, but mine has uh, found its way somehow to a short list for a uh, nonfiction. So I, in my jaw hit the table, then hit the floor, then hit the basement floor. It just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. It was unreal. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you did do it. You Could did do a great. Morning. I had to get three different contractors to come in and help me get my jaw out of the basement. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. A lot of work going on in your house now all of a oh, sudden. Geez, yeah. How have you, I mean, look, I always say to, you know, those of us that enter in the media, we, we don't get into it to win awards. We like it, and especially in the sports media, we like watching athletes compete. So when, when you get something like this, like, like what do you think? Are you, I mean, I know you said your jaw uh, hit the floor, <laughs> but just this that the book still has, you know, nine months later, it's still out there and going strong and people are talking about it. Yeah, I mean, the really neat thing, this is my first book, um, and I didn't think I'd ever write a book. Books books are supposed to be written by smart people with stuff to say and, like, things like attention spans or good vocabulary. I don't have any of those things. Um, so it, it came out in October, and, you know, some people, including yourself, had, had some nice things to, to say about it when it came out, and then, you know, over Christmas, and then after the Christmas season, talk sort of died down. And you're like, well, you know what? People said some nice things about it. I'm happy with it. So, you know, I still have four copies. I now have four very handsome-looking paperweights, at the very least. Um, but, you know, every now and again, somebody will reach out just randomly. I mean, there was one this week of, of a, a parent of three children who play competitive-level hockey in Las Vegas. And she said that, that she read the book this week. And, and even though, you know, the book's written from a Canadian hockey experience that um she said a lot of it resonated with her because you know her three boys are all in competitive level they can't go and you know go from las vegas to say reno like they they're all flying and driving out of state for their 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 tournaments like it's the, the cost is just that much higher so a lot of the things that we're dealing with here exist you know across north america and in some cases are, are amplified 
I want, and I'll, I don't think I've ever told you this. I, I lent my copy of the book to Bob Nicholson of all people because he wanted to read it. <laughs> and uh, then when he gave it back to me, I said, "What do you think?" He says, "I really liked it. Don't agree with everything in it, but I really liked it." <laughs> Have you heard any of that from from Hockey Canada type people saying, "Oh, well, come on, Sean," or have you got any of that pushback? You know, honestly, Reed, I thought. When the book came out, I, I was I was girding for it. I, I sort of fortified <laughs> myself for the fact that, you know, somebody somewhere might come out and say, you are the dumbest person in the history of creation. <laughs> and my response to that, which is still the response to it, is, yeah. But uh, beyond that, no, like, nobody... Nobody has really come out and said, you know, here's point by point by point, you're wrong and you're out to lunch. Um, that, you know, again, it's just sort of like the CFL that, you know, you love it. And it's like, a, you know, let me try something else. It's like, it's like having a really good friend you knew in high school and you still really like them, but, you know, they're, they're just they're starting to develop some behaviors where, like, you're going to get yourself in trouble and I'm not going to be able to help you out. It's sort of like that with minor hockey. Like, you know, everybody knows the benefit of minor hockey if you're in the bubble. If you're in hot minor hockey, you know that the kids, you know, that they get their exercise, they, they have that social environment, and you develop that sort of traveling winter caravan, right? Like, you go for rink to rink, drinking terrible arena coffee that's been filtered through a sweaty gym sock, but you're there and you're part of it, right? Um, the problem is is that fewer and fewer of us are able to get into that bubble, or or even more frightening, even want to get in that bubble because of all it demands. So this this book was from a place of, of love, like genuine affection for not just youth hockey, but you know beer league and all the way up. That, that hockey can do so much in it does and has done and will continue to do so much for Canadians. The challenge is, is how do you make sure that, that all Canadians have the same access to join the party? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it really made me think. And, and my perspective is a little different. I mean, I, I don't have I don't have kids. So my involvement with minor hockey is is pretty far removed. And, and I still see you, you know, tweeting minor hockey stuff. And, and uh, did you, how, how did your season end because were you were you coaching this year i can't remember yeah no um yeah i uh, we have a uh, two kids uh, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and the five-year-old she's in hockey school this year um and just loves it and the nine-year-old sort of in that the beginning stages of the competitive stream so um i was coaching his house league team i was assistant coach on his sort of competitive travel team and and he was also on a competitive ball hockey team that won the provincial championships last year and all of that has been canceled um obviously um it, it's just it was funny that you know watching this whole thing through his eyes is that it's almost like when you break a bone like right when it happens you're like ah darn it that sucks but the pain takes a little bit to sort of set in it's just been recently we're sort of noticing him moping and realizing the fact that it's been a long time since he's seen some of his close buddies and and doesn't have that same sort of structure and and the fun of you know yeah you go to the rink and practice is a lot of fun but you know also as fun as running around playing tag with all your idiot little buddies after and and going to games and you know, knowing that after a game, whether you win or lose, you're going to get money for the snack bars. You can ingest some of that just awful powdered sugar, whatever kind of keys or whatever stuff they put into their faces there. But because it's it's theirs and it's fun, and all of that stuff is gone. So that's part of you know sort of reinforcing the value because it's absence, and you can see the impact even on you know a nine year old. 
Sean, we're going to have to do this again. It, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I, I enjoy how we, we just get chatting and get into stuff, and you always make me laugh as well. Thank you so much for checking in tonight, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Be well, and we'll talk down the road for sure. That is Sean Fitzgerald. The book is Before the Lights Go Out. Follow him on Twitter at SeanFitz underscore Gerald. Really good guy, smart guy, funny guy. Pleasure to have him on Inside Sports. Excellent coach, Brad Lauer. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Good to have Sean Fitzgerald on the show. Randy Ambrosi says the most likely scenario for the Canadian Football League is that they will not have a season. So there will be some fallout from that. And obviously, currently one of the uh, biggest stories in the Canadian sports world. The National Football League has put out its schedule for 2020. Now, I there was there was some anticipation that the first four games of the season would be only the games the teams play against the other conference. So every team plays another four-team division, two home and two away, and that those would be the first four games of the season. So if they had to cut September out of the schedule, you'd have all the divisional matchups and all the uh, you know the other conference games remaining. They didn't do that. The only thing the NFL did is in the first four weeks of the season – Everybody has two home games and two away games. So if they had to chop out September, everybody would play 12 games, six home and six away. The first game of the season, the Thursday night kickoff, the Super Bowl champion Chiefs will host Houston. Remember, Houston blew that 24-0 lead against the Chiefs in a playoff game. Brady's first game with Tampa Bay going to be on Sunday, September 13th at the Saints and the Sunday nighter in week one, Dallas visiting the Los Angeles Rams. They are going to allow fans into baseball games in Taiwan for the first time this season. Up to 1,000 people will be allowed into the ballparks and IndyCar will start June 6th without spectators at Texas Motor Speedway. The head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings is the WHL Coach of the Year. Brad Lauer joins us again on Inside Sports. Brad, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Reed. I'm doing good. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Congratulations on being named Coach of the Year in the Western Hockey League. Uh, Who would have guessed it would have been under these circumstances uh, how does it feel to to win the award for a, a successful yet unfinished season yeah you know it's 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 frustrating and we we were four games short of completing our our season and um you know it's there's mixed emotions obviously i'm honored but humbled at the same time and you know it's it's uh, one of those years it's it's obviously uh different in a lot of ways but you know, I'm also very thankful. Um, you know what what's uh, you know OEG and and uh, you know Kurt Hill has done. Um, obviously, given like we talked earlier, you know Kurt's given me the opportunity to be a head coach is something that I've always was been wanting to do. And um, you know, uh, a lot of thanks goes 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 that way. And you know, there's a, just again, this award isn't just an individual award for me. I think it goes like we talked earlier. It goes. Uh, it goes. Many thanks to to a lot of different people. You know, uh, my staff that I work with, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, Luke Pearson, Michael Chan, Curtis Muka, 
uh, you know, my, my medical team uh, group, my, my equipment managers, stuff like, you know, it goes on and on. And uh, our scouts, uh, in order for someone to, uh, to get this award, and then obviously the players um, that, that put the time in, the commitment that they give you on a day-to-day basis. So um, it's exciting. Uh, it definitely makes you reflect back on the year and, and just kind of go through and, and uh, you know, very happy for what our team accomplished this year, even though it was cut short. One of the phrases that gets used in hockey is the coach has got to get that buy-in from players, mm-hmm. and that's often doing the little things, often in the defensive end of the rink. I mean, it, it, it's not hard to motivate a player to want to score a goal. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you yeah. Know, just, yeah. Just as a coach, uh, how do you feel that, that you were able to get that buy-in from guys? Well, I think that's, that, that's a credit to our guys' understanding um, the, the game, this, this, today's game. Um, you know, I think the problem, sometimes the problem at our, at our level is that all these kids are, that come into the Western Hockey League um, they're all great hockey players. Um, they, 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 they all want to be. They're all. They all been on the power play. They all been in the top two lines. All been playing big minutes. And you know, it's it's a tough. The Western League is a tough league to play in um, because of the, the the talent and the skill level. Um, but and I think the guys are one thing. Our guys really. Our message to the to our players, you know, right from day one, is that. You know, scouts aren't just coming to our game to watch guys score goals. They're looking for guys in roles and different positions and, um, you know, to shut other teams down, to do other things, to do the little things, the habits that we talk about. And, you know, credit to our players. They really, they really believe uh, in what we're, what we want to, and what we want to do and how we want to play. And, you know, once you have that, um, you know, our, it, it's, it's a group of guys that's committed to each other. Um, and they're also committed to the team and the team's success. And with team success comes individual success, as you've seen uh, the last two years with our players. You know, you played in the NHL, you, you played in the minors, you, you coached in the WHL and uh, NHL as an assistant before getting the job with the Oil Kings. Um, I don't know if you can narrow it down to one or two guys, but is there a head coach that really had a big impact on you and your career or, or ever maybe turned on the light bulb in your head that made you say to yourself, if I'm ever a head coach, I, I want to have a lot of this guy's attributes? You know, there's, there's uh, you know, Reed, there's not just one person because, it, uh, you know, I've, I've been asked that question a lot, um, uh, you know, through the last couple of years, uh, you know, what type of system or what I want to play and, you know, I've been very fortunate about you know one as a player I've been I've got to play for a lot of a lot of good coaches and you know I can go back to my Notre Dame years um, with Coach Terry O'Malley uh, you know worked with worked with me there my midget hockey career and then when I went to junior uh, in the Regina Pats you know Coach Moore's was my head coach there for for a year I learned an awful lot with him um, you know and just as my playing days I mean you know, with Al Arbor. Um, Mike Keane, uh, Keenan, sorry, <laughs> um, just uh, Bob Bourne, Butch Goring, like all these guys have been able to to look to to play for. You know, you you take some stuff as a player away from that, and then obviously being very fortunate to be able to coach in the National Hockey League as an assistant coach. Uh, worked with some 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 tremendous coaches with Boost Boudreau, you know, Corey Clouston. 
um, you know, Blaine Lambert and, and John Cooper, you know, so I've been able to take a lot of things, you know, some good and some ga- some bad from, from all different situations. And, uh, you know, I think one of the, the other things I really think that, that, that I, that I like to reflect on is just I've been very fortunate, like I said, to, to work with some some very high talented players and, you know, some role players, uh, you know, like your Getzlavs, your Corey Perry's, uh, you know, Daniel Alfredson, um, you know, and just see, you know, Kucherov and Stamp, but just to see the way they think the game and, and be able to have a relationship with them on a personal note to to take away some of the stuff that they, the way they see the game, what they like and don't like as a player. It's it's kind of, so there's been a roundabout of everything that I've kind of uh, accumulated through my coaching career and my playing career that I've taken bits and bits and pieces from. Brad Lauer, head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. He's the Western Hockey League Coach of the Year. Okay, uh, i got to go down memory lane. I think we've touched on this a little bit in the past, but it's, it's <laughs> worth exploring again. 0102, Sheffield Steelers, uh, the BISL. Uh, yeah. I, I can't remember what that stands for. British something? British the, Super League. The British, uh, the British <laughs> Super League. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know Scott Allison was on that team. I covered him at an Allen Cup in 2007 in Stony Plain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're going uh, down memory lane. Rod Shudra was on that team. How did you wind up over there, and how did you like the experience? You know what? It was, uh, it was, uh, it was one of those things where I was at the end of my career. Uh, uh, at the end, it was I think I was 36 years old, and. and you know, I was playing in the IHL, in the International Hockey League, which was the same affiliation right, compared to the American League. So there was two leagues back then, the IHL and the AHL. So each NHL team had owned uh, one of the, either the AHL, American Hockey League, or the International Hockey League. So each, each franchise had one or the other. And there was a bunch of guy teams that had IHL, and there was a bunch of teams that had AHL. And uh, the IHL ended up folding. And become an All-American Hockey League. So, And then they brought in the veterans uh, rule, which uh, you, at that time you're only allowed six veterans on the team. So basically I, I retired then. I wasn't really, didn't want, I was living in Salt Lake City, uh, just uh, been married for four years, didn't want to move around. And, you know, I said, you know what, uh, you know, I thought about getting into coaching. I worked with some uh, head coach. Back then, obviously, we didn't have three or four or five coaches on the bench. We had two at the most. And, uh, you know, those last couple of years, uh, you know, the head guys would always ask some of the players to help out with some running drills or doing some things. And I was able to do some of that and enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I chased I chased the coaching gig that year, and but nothing happened. I was in Salt Lake City, and I got a, a phone call from Mike Blaisdell um, of Regina, who was the coach of the Sheffield Steelers. And, he asked me if I wanted to keep playing, and I was like, well, where is this at? And I had no clue where I was going to go. Didn't think I was going to go, but um, had no kids at the time. Uh, my wife and I went there and had one of the best years uh, ever. It was uh, very, very enjoyable, very fun. And uh, one, thing's, uh, one thing I wish, I'm, I'm glad I did. What was the uh, fan support and interaction like? Oh, uh, the, the, the support there was tremendous. Uh, we probably averaged seventy five hundred to nine thousand every night. Oh wow! Um, yeah, no, it was it was something. It was a good league because at that time the the IHL folded, so a lot of the guys that older guys that couldn't get jobs in, in North America anymore with American Hockey League, a lot of guys went over there, uh, went to Germany, uh, went to went to went to the the English Super League, and uh, got jo- and and found jobs there. And and the league was very very good. 
Um, you know, very, very competitive. Uh, good travel. And uh, like I said, it was kind of, it was, it was just a, a lot of fun, a lot of competitive, and it was, it was very enjoyable. Yeah, well, that sounds like it was awesome. <laughs> Brad, it's always good to catch up with you. Again, congratulations on uh, on Coach of the Year, and we will definitely keep in touch, and hopefully we, uh, we're talking about actual hockey games sooner yeah. rather than later. Sounds good, Reed. Thanks. That is Brad Lauer, head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Dunk McCallum Trophy is his as Western Hockey League Coach of the Year. Well-deserved honor for Brad and some nice little memories about playing in uh, in Sheffield. In Britain, Sheffield. Now, why would that city have any other significance on this show or to me, Kellen? Sheffield, England. Um, Def Leppard. Def Leppard is from Sheffield. There it is. There you We're go. tying it all together. Amazing stuff. We got a pretty amazing guest coming up. He is... Um, I, you can't put a one-word label on it. I, I was struggling, but he's a hockey fan who is... Dealing with missing hockey throughout the pandemic in a very... All right, appreciate you tuning in. Inside Sports on 630 Chet every night weeknight from 7 until 8 temporarily usually 6 to 8 right now global news hour at 6 the simulcast of the television show from 6 to 7 here on 630 Jed we are 7 to 8 we are still here and happy to be here broadcasting from my spacious spare bedroom I measured it you could actually fit two and three quarters people in here not just two and a half. It's pretty amazing. All right. As we've been going through the pandemic here, we've been profiling some fans. Uh, we had, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Chad Gansky on, the author from Victoria. We had Caitlin Pretty on the show, the young lady who was doing the Jack Michaels lip sync videos to some of his goal calls. We are going to go all the way to Buffalo to talk to Mac Barker on Inside Sports. Mac, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hey, uh, Reed, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming on tonight. Okay, so now you live in Buffalo. Are, are the Sabres indeed your team? <laughs> they are. They are. Uh, you know, for better or for worse. Well, I feel like there's probably some kinship between Sabres and Oilers fans because the last 12 years or so have, have not been very good on the ice for the franchises. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, misery love company there, I guess. Well, what have you thought of Ralph Kruger as the head coach? Um, you know, Buffalo has kind of been a uh, a revolving door for uh, for head coaches for the last uh, last few years. Um, so uh, when we started this year, uh, you know, the Sabers had a uh, a really really great uh, month of October, so I got really excited, and then you know things kind of fell off there a little bit. So um, I'm uh, you know I. I guess I uh, I've liked what I've what I've seen um, for the most part so far, but I think it's still you know maybe too early to tell uh, for uh, you know for for the the long term. Uh, but you know I uh, I want to have hope. Uh, the the eternal optimist in me you know wants to wants to believe that you know maybe this guy is the one to turn things around. So fingers crossed. <laughs> 
Well, sports fans are a little lost right now with really nothing going on in North America. I guess there's a UFC this weekend. Looks like some auto racing and golf might be coming up. Some people are simulating seasons. For example, I got a text here a few minutes ago from a listener named DH who says, Hey, Reed, the Oilers are up 2-0 in the first period. Cup final game six in Philadelphia. Congratulations to the Oil Kings coach. So combining some reality with fantasy there because the Oil Kings coach did win Western Hockey League Coach of the Year. Uh, Mac, you have started your own project because you were missing hockey and and you were combining hockey and food. And I'm wondering if you can tell me about this. Yeah, so um, really this has kind of started out of boredom. Uh, You know, I... um, my two favorite things, uh, really in, in life are, are probably hockey and, uh, and traveling. And right now I can't really do either of those. Um, so, uh, I saw that, um, on the NHL TV app, all the games from 2019, 2020, uh, you can watch every game from every team for free. Uh, and so I said, you know, okay, that'd be pretty cool to, to pick a different team, uh, you know, and, and watch, watch that team's games every night. And then I kind of figured uh, it'd be cool to go through uh, alphabetically. So start with Anaheim and, uh, and then, you know, work my way through the league and, uh, and watch various games from, uh, from all, uh, all different teams. So I, I turned to, to Reddit uh, for a little bit of help to figure out some of the, the best games from the last, uh, last couple seasons to watch. Um, and then uh, I kind of added a little bit on to that uh, by um, – you know, every uh, every NHL city has its uh, has its own culture, and with that comes its own food. And so I, I said, uh, I'm going to try and either make uh, make food that's native to, to that city or region, or uh, order takeout um, from from anywhere that you know, that's still operating, kind of support the the local restaurants. So uh, that's that's my uh, my goal is to to kind of do um, you know a uh, combine some some good games from the last couple seasons. And uh, you know some some good food from all over North America. <laughs> well, that this is very unique, uh, a very unique way to uh, keep your hockey viewing up and uh, and enjoy some meals as well. So, like you've just started this, right? You've only done Anaheim so far. Yeah, yeah. So I've just started with Anaheim uh, this week. Um, I've made uh, I made uh, Mickey Mouse pan. You know, Anaheim's obviously the home of Disneyland, so I made Mickey Mouse pancakes. Uh, I did uh, In-N-Out Burgers. Uh, I found a recipe online for copycat In-N-Out Burgers, which is a, a pretty popular chain in, in Southern California. Uh, I did um, something called a Monte Cristo sandwich that I found that they serve at Disneyland. It's apparently pretty popular, so made that today. Um, and then uh, tomorrow I'll, uh, I'll finish it off with a, uh, a version of a California Cobb salad. Uh, and then next week we'll, do, uh, we'll start with Arizona, uh, some delicious you know, Mexican food there. Okay, well that's pretty cool. Now eventually you're going to hit hit Edmonton, and I don't know if you have a Twitter account or, or what you're doing with this on social media. But have you what do you have any initial thoughts for Edmonton? I, I know the green onion cake originated here, so you may have to consider that. Certainly Alberta has great beef and great steaks. Have you have you done any pre thinking about Edmonton? Oh yeah, yeah. So I actually, uh, I, I kind of went um, for a couple of days, uh, dove really into uh, a bunch of research. I actually made a whole uh, a whole spreadsheet, uh, you know, because uh, nothing but time right now. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I uh, I have uh, I have some ideas for uh, for Edmonton. Um, 
I've heard, uh, obviously, you have uh, my, my friend Kevin uh, lives uh, actually in Edmonton. He's the one uh, who, who kind of uh, saw this and, and passed it along. Um, and uh, so he told me about the green onion cakes, which I'll definitely be making, uh, but also about uh, Donair. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, Donair, yeah. Donair. So, uh, yep. so you know, I, I said uh, we have... Um, Euro here, uh, which uh, I know is is similar, but there's a little bit. Um, so I'm hopeful that I can find uh, a place that'll make it with uh, my friend Kevin said it's the the Donair sauce that really makes it. So I'm hopeful that I can find uh, some place that'll do the sauce, and uh, you know, at the very least, I'm sure I can uh, you know get a uh, get a Euro plane and then make the sauce at home and add that on. Uh, and you know, obviously, uh, I'm going to do. I'm not sure if I'll be able to find uh, you know Berta beef in uh, in the states. But uh, you know, I'll do my best to uh, to find it, and I'll use uh, I'll use uh, Wayne's steak recipe from Letterkenny. I don't know if you're familiar with that. <laughs> nice, that's that's incredible. Okay, well, we're into the kind of final minute of the show here, Mac. But just quickly, what what kind of reaction from family and or friends have you gotten about your hockey slash food project? Uh, everybody's been, uh, you know, they, they think it's great. Uh, it's, it's just a fun way to pass the time. Uh, I've been, you know, posting these to my, uh, my Instagram story. Um, and, and so, uh, that also goes on, on Facebook and everything. So they've seen it. Uh, I got, um, buddies from, from all over the place. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, like my friend in Carolina, uh, for example, um, I talked to him last night and he, you know, went in and he's like, Oh, you have to watch this and eat this. So, Everybody's had uh, thought it thought it's a really cool thing. Okay, how do I find you on Instagram? Uh, Instagram is uh, my first name is Macintosh, so M A C K I N T O S H, and then seven one six, which is our area code. There you go. I'm I'm going to follow you and keep tabs on this project. This sounds pretty good. Hey, thanks for telling your story. Thanks for telling your story, my pleasure. Mac. Good eating, eh? Hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That is Mac Barker going through the NHL alphabetically, watching games and making food or ordering food specific to each team. That is quite the adventure he is going on. Also, thanks to Brad Lauer and Sean Fitzgerald for checking in tonight. More on the CFL story, more on Lauer being named Coach of the Year on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. Kellen Kennedy, thanks to you, our studio producer. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take care. 630Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Ched.